If you worry about your own or someone else's mental health, don't remain unannounced. Start the conversation and access support. Visit www.stagechelly.com.au slash get help for a list of services. This week's episode of Unannounced is probably brought to you by Borders by the Bay. Be sure to join the movement by using the code UNANNOUNCED15 at the checkout for a cheeky discount off your order. On this week's episode, I'll be talking to Michael O'Loughlin, or better known as Mickey Yo. Michael and I spoke about his journey to the AFL, struggles, triumphs and so much more. Hope you enjoy. Welcome to the podcast, Michael. Um, usually, I just like to start by uh, getting the um, guests to give us a bit of an introduction on themselves, so sort of their childhood, school, and sport. Yeah, we'll just sort of go from there, mate. No worries, um, mate. Thanks for having me. Um, my name's Michael O'Loughlin. Uh, currently living in Sydney, and I'd like to acknowledge Gadigal, uh, your nation, who uh, where I live. I'm a Narunga Nutinger in Ghana, man, a long way from South Australia, and I've spent the last 25 years here in Sydney playing AFL football, working, um, and now family life here in this amazing country here in Sydney. So it's been a long journey, one um, that I've absolutely loved. But again, always really important to acknowledge. Uh, the country where you are and where you're from. So uh, I'm really excited to be here today. I'm born and raised in Adelaide and moved to Sydney as a 17-year-old when I was drafted. But I guess the I guess that the story uh, and how it evolved for me to get to Sydney in the draft was was quite an experience. I'm the eldest of six kids, grew up in a, in a housing, housing commission house with mum. She raised us all. Um, we didn't have a lot of money. We had five boys and one girl and all the five boys lived in one room and uh, and my sister had her own, the princess had her own bedroom. Um, and as you can imagine, I'm the oldest, so I was stuck with um, helping to look after the young guys as well. And that was amazing. Was, uh, I, I learned some really life lessons and I, I learned them really quickly. My mum's involved with their education in South Australia uh, as an Aboriginal education worker, making sure that kids go to school, do the right thing and, and, and helping, I guess, schools and principals and teachers um, to, to help with the education of Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander um, children. So um, that was drummed into me really early. Um, but growing up in Adelaide, uh, about 30 minutes out of town in a place called Salisbury North, where there is a massive Aboriginal, I guess, community there. A lot of the, you can imagine if you look at Adelaide and a lot of the Aboriginal communities from around the country, uh, from around South Australia, which might've been an hour, two hours, four hours out of Adelaide, when they left their communities and come to town, they always stopped at this one place called Salisbury North. And um, a lot of them settled there and obviously the surrounding suburbs. So big Aboriginal multicultural um, community there. And it was one that I absolutely loved. As you can imagine, um, sport played a huge role. A lot of cousins, a lot of friends, and um, that was just amazing. Best part about growing up in that big community and um, one that really sort of helped me get to where I wanted to go, and that was play AFL footy professionally. And I guess the stories, there's a lot of them. Having adversity and, and being told I wasn't good enough and then obviously making different grades of football from the under-12s, 13s, 14s, 15s, and then eventually to the, the 17s where I was drafted out of and went to Sydney and... Those were the best times. They were really hard. I was wearing second-hand footy boots sometimes, but I just loved the game. It was, you know, I had really great uncles and and and, and aunties and family around me as well. And if you know my mum, my mum's she's a hard taskmaster, so she uh, she disciplined us and and you know I had to make sure I was home by a certain time. If it was one minute after, she was very angry, <laughs> and she that was the way she had to. That's the way she uh, was able to 
keep uh, keep an eye on all of her boys and her daughter. So, and I was I was pretty good at at sport. Loved basketball, loved cricket, loved footy, and and I just participated in everything. We lived around the corner from the from the local footy club, and as, as you can imagine, there was a bit of talent playing there too. Um, what was it like, obviously, throughout your childhood, growing up in a sort of a housing commission and having to share rooms with like four other brothers? What was that like? Do you know what? Like it was it was amazing because I didn't know I didn't know we were poor. Yeah, that was just everyone was the same, and I just thought, oh, okay, that's how the world is as a young fella growing up. And my uh, my four brothers and I kicked the footy. They were obviously um, a, a couple of them were really young, so you know I was changing nappies and feeding them the bottle and um, making sure they weren't jumping over fences and 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 getting into trouble. So you know I had a role there, um, but I also had a lot of support with aunties, uncles. My nana was a huge influence on me. She lived, you know, four hundred meters up the road. If I ever needed anything, I went up there, and that was. Uh, you didn't know that you had no money and it wasn't until I got to Sydney and I thought, oh, wow, I saw these big mansions and what I saw on television and people having money. I was like, wow, this is unbelievable. I knew at 15 years of age, if I discipline and, 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 and my dream to play AFL footy, if I can play AFL footy, I can get paid and I can change my, my family's life and our way of living, I guess, a little bit and help them with shoes and food and bills so that, that was one thing that I, I wanted to do and I, and I, and I was very lucky um, to get to Sydney and played well and got paid good money and I was able to look after my mum. You touched on that goal of reaching the top level and being able to take care of your family and also um, I guess getting told that you weren't really good enough at, at football. When, when did you sort of decide that you wanted to take your football to the next level and play AFL? Um, yeah great question. I think I always dreamt of playing it, but I was—I um, I didn't know if I was good enough. And it wasn't until I got to about 15, I started making some representative sides. Got picked, played, went okay. Didn't didn't set the world on fire, but I was I was I was okay. And then I got invited to, to train with uh, a, a team called, and they're a very powerful team in South Australia now, uh, but they used to be terrible. Uh, the Central District Footy Club, and I was only there for a year, and it was enough. I played that year there. And it was enough that the recruiters had seen those games and went, oh, okay, that kid, that kid might be okay. If we can coach him and get some food into him and do some weights, he yeah. might be all right. So, you know, they took, a, they took a risk on me. Anyway, they selected me because the club I came from, which was Salisbury North Hawks, they're a big, they're a big Indigenous um, community there, as I mentioned. A lot of AFL players. Gavin Wanganin's from there. Troy Bond, Shane Bond. My brother Ricky played at the Crows. Um, and, a, and a lot of other Aboriginal players that went on to play the state level. And they all play for Port Magpies or Central Districts Bulldogs. As I said, so there was a lot of um, ro- lot of role models and those guys are all older than me. So I watched them and went, oh, when Gavin Wanganin got drafted to Essendon, played in the Premiership, won a Brownlow, then he came back to Port Adelaide, Port Power. I thought, oh, wow, how, how good is that? Maybe I can do that. So he was an inspiration and one of my favourite players. But we all grew up in the same area. And um, so it's a pretty handy area, um, some talent running around. And then when I turned 15, 16, I was invited to train up, literally up the road for Central Districts. And I caught, used to catch the bus, trains. I used to get lifts by, with my friends, whoever was um, trying out for the team for that week. I'd try and get a lift from school because my mum couldn't drive because she was looking after the five kids and, you know, the life was busy and I didn't want to put any more pressure on her to get me to training. So I was a go-getter. I was self-sufficient. I made sure I had my footy boots ready, made sure I got the training on time, uh, made sure I got my lift, 
make sure I had some food in my stomach. So I was really, I was really sort of street smart like that. You know, that resilience and that discipline, it, it paid off for me in the end because after, the, after that one year at Centrals, I, they took me to Sydney and I've been living here for 24 years. You, you spoke before about really not knowing you feel good enough and also getting told you weren't maybe up to that level, but you ended up getting drafted to Sydney when you were 17. What was that like? Obviously, you're pretty young and obviously they've raised the age now to 18 to get drafted, but leaving your family behind, leaving your siblings behind and oh, moving man. to... What was that like? <laughs> that was tough. I cried for about two weeks every night in my bed. Back home in Adelaide, I was always sleeping with one of my brothers or two of my brothers in the same bed, you know. Mm. And I got to Sydney, I had my own bed in my own room. I was, and I was scared. <laughs> I'm used to, you know, people, people having people around me all the time and there was no yeah. one. And uh, I rang my mum and said, I'm coming home. And she said, no, mate, you've got to stay there. This is an unbelievable opportunity for you and you can't come back home because... The bed that you used to have is now your cousin is living in that. <laughs> My mum knew that if I was going to be successful, if this opportunity was presented itself and I was successful, it could set my life up. And she knew that. And she said, don't come home. She just, whereas other parents, I don't know, they might say, oh, get on the plane and come home. My mum said, no. She said, you stay there. You signed a contract. You have to uh, deliver on your word to the football club. So that was that was a big eye and my mum didn't want me. But she knew what was right for me and uh, it all worked out in the end. And um, as I said, as soon as the football game started playing, instead of the training and running, I was fine. Um, I was reading something the other day and it actually said that you wanted to be drafted to Carlton, you actually didn't like the Swans and you wanted to be drafted. And when you didn't get picked up by Carlton, there were a few tears when Sydney picked you up. Can you sort of touch on oh, yeah. that and wanting to be picked up by Carlton instead? Absolutely. So you can imagine, I just turned six, uh, just turned seventeen, and uh, sorry, I turned seventeen that year, and then um, it was a draft, and I had no idea how the how the bloody draft work. I had no, I had no idea. I just thought someone grab you and take you to a footy club and you play. They said, no, you have to go through the draft, and they said, well, how does that work? Well, pick one, two, three, four, five to the best to you know the guys who they maybe. And um, I had four four football clubs. Carlton were the first team, uh, the Demons, Melbourne Demons, Brisbane Bears, and who was the other one? Uh, um, the Swans. And then I had a fun, couple of phone calls, but they, did, they weren't really too interested. And Carlton came and they said, oh, we're going to draft you. We love, we love you. We've been watching you since you were 16, Mick. We, we really like you. And I was like, oh, how good is this? Because I go for the Carlton Blues. And the other clubs came around, knocked on the door, had a cup of tea with mum to say, we like your son. And if... The draft works out. We we may or may not take you. But they don't guarantee. But the only team that guaranteed was oh Carlton. If they get everything they want, they're gonna. They said we're gonna take him no matter what. I'm like oh wow, how good is this? So anyway, the draft. I'm watching it on television and I'm sitting there and it goes to pick 30, 31, 32, 33. And I goes oh shit, pick 41. I know Carlton's gonna try and take me. But pick 40, the Sydney Swans yelled out my name. Sydney Swans select Michael. I went oh no. Started crying. My mum's like, what happened? What happened? I said, oh, I've just been drafted to the Swans. And she's like, yes. And I'm like, no. Tears running down. Absolutely devastated. 20 minutes later, the phone rang. I pick it up. They're like, oh, hi, Michael. It's the, the Carlton Footy Club. We were going to draft you. Good luck for your career. We'll, we'll be watching you. And they hung up. The phone rang again. It was the Sydney Swans. And they said, Mick, we're so happy. And I went, yep. And I hung up on them. You can imagine, um, we're living in this house, five boys in one room. I was still prepared to stay in that house than go to Sydney because I was so scared, I think, a little uh, more so. But um, I was in Sydney about a week or two after that 
And I was like, oh, wow, this place is unbelievable. You can imagine, remember, I'll remember back in those, uh, I'm a bit young for you, but in the early 90s, the swans were shocking. Bottom of the ladder, second bottom, bottom. On, and I'm like, my mum said, why don't you want to play for them? And I said, well, mum, they're shit. <laughs> I said, I don't want to play them. Play for them. I want to play for Carlton. But got over here, they looked after me. And then, as I said, as soon as the footballs and uh, I got to meet the rest of the players, I was fine. Yeah, that's no, awesome to hear. So you ended up playing 303 games for Sydney. But before that, did you sort of think you were going to play? Did you sort of have any expectations going into that season? That first year, I was the I used to come last or second last in all the running. And I was only skinny kid, so I couldn't lift any of the weights, do any bicep, I couldn't do anything. Because I'd been playing and training with boys, and now I'm training and playing with men. In my mind, I was going... I'm really struggling here. I don't know how I'm going to do this. And they said, no, it's not going to happen overnight. It's going to happen if you keep showing up, you keep putting in the work, you keep doing your weights, keep eating the right foods, not the bad stuff, you'll be fine. And I was like, okay. So that first two months nearly for training, three months of training, I can see my body getting stronger, started getting a little bit of muscle. (laughs) And I was only a skinny kid. I was only 70 kilo when I got to Sydney. And when I retired 15 years later, I was... 90, so about 20, 23 kilograms heavier. So I started getting fitter. I started to feel more comfortable. And then when the games came, I, I started off in the reserves. They put me on and I started playing. I started getting a kick because I was always pretty good at where the ball, I can read the ball and get the, get the footy. I just wasn't strong enough. So I knew right away that I have to spend more time in the gym. I, I love boxing as well, always boxing. I had to learn to swim. Had no idea what I was doing swimming. That's the thing. Like, it's like anything in the world. If you put the work in, you'll get results. They won't happen straight away, but like they'll happen a, a bit later on. So, um, it's one thing that I've always really good at. You know, I'm a street kid. I'm from the like, you know, I'm from the streets. I'm, I'm I'm pretty smart. I'm street smart, and I can sort of see what's going on around me. And I go, okay, I need to go and hang out with these guys because they're doing the right thing. These guys are laughing, joking, carrying on a bit. So I was really good. I made that decision to go over to these guys and, and then it all worked out for me in the end. But I always yeah. kept that in the back of my mind to go, if I keep working, because I have the talent, the talent is there, but I have to keep working hard to make sure that my talent and my, and my work ethic is, is high. Mm. Um, because if I do that, I can help my family. And that was, for me, playing football at the start of my career, it wasn't about playing for premierships or winning best and fairest or kicking lots of goals. It was about playing well so I can get money so I can send home. And that's what, and that's what I did. When did you realise that you've gone from or you can go from just being another person on the list to being someone who can actually impact the team oh, and sort of help the team? I wanted to do it straight away. As soon as I was out on the field, because I knew, I knew I had nice skills, and I had to work on a lot of other things. But I knew, and then I'm watching all the other guys do their skills, and I'm like, okay, I'm, a little, I'm okay there. I'm better than that guy. That guy's really awesome. I've got to try and get up to his level. And I always tried to do extras. So extra kicking, extra handball, extra marking. Uh, fitness was the big one, and weights. And I knew if I can get all that stuff right, then I can start contributing. Then when the games eventually came around, I started playing well. I was like, oh, wow. And then I think I played oh, first five rounds in the reserves on my first year. And then I, they rang me. I Sorry, they rang me. They grabbed me and they said, hey, you're playing really well. Keep it going. And then the next week I played seniors. And I was like, then when I played seniors, I was like running around. I was like, oh, man, this is awesome. I'm not, I'm not playing reserves again. That means I had to work really hard. 
um, and just to stay there. And then I got dropped and then I came back. So that was a very good lesson. I, it goes to show you that if you put the work in, you can get, you can get results. Yeah, you've touched a fair bit on putting in the result, uh, putting in the work in to get the results. Where do you, where do you reckon you got that um, mindset of that hard work and that work ethic from? Oh, my mum, my yeah. mum. I see my mum, my, my my nana, uh, my aunties, all back home. Tough, you know. They they got no money, they, but they make sure that they can uh, feed you, clothe you, you know, put a roof over your head. My mum raised six kids by herself, you know, like that's amazing. So. I find that resilience was certainly from her. It's one of the things like, you know, like anyone when I, and when I got money and I was playing well, like the first thing I did was bought my mum a house. Everyone had, a, had their own room. Mum had a new flash house and a new flash car. It was brilliant. Like, you know, but I was able to do that because I was very proud of what she did and she helped me get to where I needed to go to. So very important to respect your elders and your community. Um, and when you, and it's like anyone around, um, you know, our communities, if someone's got something, we share, yeah. we help each other. Very big. Um, and, um, you know, it's, it's been one of the best things I've done. Winning a premiership with the Swans. Yeah. But also giving my mum her keys to the, her new house was they sit next to each other. We'll touch on that winning the premiership with the Swans. But before we go into that, the West Coast, the West Coast Eagles, you guys sort of had a huge rivalry. Can you sort of touch on that a bit? Yeah, absolutely. Like, they were fantastic games. I think there were seven games, seven games decided by 10, 10 points or less. So you knew every time you played West Coast, it was going to be a tough game and it was going to be, you know, a lot of punching, a lot of, you know, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of wrestling and, um, like, physically draining and then mentally draining at the end of the game. So you knew it was going to be a tough one. So the whole week pre- preparation is the key to anything doing all your homework, video work, extra work, and you're playing and you just go whack. Um, you know, done the work, let's just roll the game out now. Even you can go some games there where you're not getting a kick and you go, okay, it doesn't matter. I'm not having a great game, but maybe I can influence something. I can do a shepherd or, or a tackle or spoil the ball or do something. And then there's games where you're on fire and you're kicking goals and you're taking marks and um, they're the best days. But um, you got to remember that AFL, you can go, it's up and down. It's yeah. up and down. The really good players can sort of go like that, a bit smoother. It's um, and that's all that is about your effort and what you put in and the preparation and your homework, which is homework at AFL level is watching videotape, doing your weights, doing your extra running, doing your kicking, game plans. Then the test is on Saturday, Sunday at the game. Fortunately for us, we have 60,000 people watching us, and if you don't play well in that game, they go, "Hey, yeah, what happened to you?" So it's a ruthless sport. But it's, a, it's so good to play. It's unbelievable playing and, and playing in really big games like that. The most iconic football photo against West Coast was you um, in, the, in the crowd. Can you sort of touch on that and sort of what was going through your mind and also what some of the things that the supporters were sort of saying to you? Kicked the winning goal at the end. The ball went through nicely, sort of landed right on my lap and um, really good part of it. Uh, the build-up was came all the way from the back lines. Was, if you ever watch it, all the way from the back lines, the build-up, and not just the goal, but the build-up from the back lines all the way through the middle, then the kick in, and then I get on the end of it, kick the goal, and, and run up into that guy's face. That was, um, yeah, that was just firstly get the ball, kick the goal, and then it, when he was there, I was like, oh yeah, these these guys who was yelling at me, <laughs> give me a, a bit of a scream. They weren't yelling at anything too bad. They were just yelling at Michael Lachlan, you're a hat, you're like. <laughs> 
and they're just giving it to me because I'm usually playing at full forward. You know, they were, they were okay. It was just uh, that heat of the moment. But the one thing after the game, I remember putting all the ice on and the players had a shower and go back into the bus to go to the hotel in Perth. And the security guard tapped me on the show. He goes, Mr. O'Loughlin, I'm like, yeah. He goes, you have to come with me. And I'm like, where? And he goes, there's people waiting outside for you. <laughs> all, all, the, all the West Coast fans were waiting outside for me. So... He grabbed my bag and we we left the left the change rooms and we ran to the team bus and they were throwing stuff and they were yelling out and oh it was hilarious yeah but yeah. it's good I love playing interstate someone else's venue and when you when you beat them and you play well and you yeah. win oh, I love that kind of stuff it just you know like it's us against sixty thousand people um, and then we had some little bits and pieces of Swans fans there that well, was awesome it all worked out we win we had a rest. Um, they eventually beat us in that year's grand final, but um, yeah, some really amazing games with the West Coast Eagles. We'll touch on grand finals now. So obviously that rivalry with the West Coast continued to the grand final. What was that feeling like when the sign went and you realised you just won your first premiership? Can you sort of just touch on that, please? That was like, when the siren goes, relief, because yeah, oh man, finally won one after 15 years or whatever it is. Leo Barry sort of takes that mm. mark. That was incredible. We we actually left the grand final. That We sang the song in the in the middle of the oval. Then we, uh, I can't remember too much, mate. It was a lot of celebrating. We went back <laughs> went back to Sydney and we went had a, um, a car ride through the centre of Sydney and there was 70,000 people hanging out of the buildings in Sydney on the harbour. It was yeah. unbelievable, bro. Unbelievable. We win that one by, what, three points, I think it was. And then... You fast forward, you know, you're celebrating, having a great time. Then you fast forward 2006, same thing happens. We play, we win, and then we go to the grand final, play West Coast again, and we lose by one point. And, like, that is – that still hurts. It still hurts. And um, and people go, oh, but you won you won one each. West Coast Swans, you won one each. But the competitor in me goes, no, I want two. And, um, unfortunately, we didn't, win, we didn't get there. We didn't play – in that 2006 game, we didn't play well early. And we were playing catch-up all the way to the last quarter and eventually got to within one point. So, really amazing period. A lot of people love watching the Swans West Coast games. They were really, really tough games to watch. How would you sort of sum up your AFL career in one word? Oh, one word. That's a... Mate, you're a hard-hitting journalist. (laughs) One word... Perseverance. If I if I use one, I don't know that gets thrown around a lot. Perseverance. But when I think back to my junior league AFL to rep sort of footy, and there was a lot of people who said I would never play AFL football. There was a lot, and you know, like it is what it is. People go, oh, that kid or that kid, oh, they're terrible. So that happened to me as well. But then when I made it, those same people were going, oh, well done, Mickey, eh? you're awesome, you're really good. So you know what I mean, like. They, they never tell you how to handle all that kind of stuff. But being told you're not good enough and you'll never, you'll never play AFL footy, I have two options. I can either believe them or I can do something about it. And luckily for me, I did something about it. And that means I kept on showing up. I kept on being on time. I might have started on the bench or I might have even missed games that week. But I kept on going to training. And I, I made sure that if someone got injured, I was ready to play. Then eventually, I started growing, getting stronger. Then I started playing well. Then I got drafted. Then when I got drafted, all those same people were going, hey, you won't last. You'll be in Sydney for one year and they'll, they'll say, you're, a, you're no good, I Lachlan, go back to Adelaide. And then I end up playing 15 years. Those same people, they, get, they now go, hey, well done, Mickey O. We knew you'd make it. <laughs> so you've got you know, to remember who your real friends are. 
the, the people who really got you there. And then you also got to remember and give yourself a pat on the back every now and then and go, you're doing all right, Mickey, are you going all right? Like, you know, self-talk, you're doing all the hard work. Well done. Keep going. What's the next challenge now? So, um, yeah, man, as, as I said, we um, grew up with nothing, told that we'll never make it. And then when we made it, you know, you celebrate with the people that matter the most. Yeah, no, that was amazing to hear. And that perseverance sort of comes into this next section of the podcast where I'm um, just t- chatting about a time you face a challenge, setback or failure, sort of how it affected you, what you learned from it and sort of any advice yeah. you'd be willing to offer. Injuries are the biggest one for every, I guess, professional athlete, amateur athlete out there who love playing the game they love. Um, certainly for me, there was times that my knee, I thought, oh, no, this is it because I, I, I can't run, I can't train. Um, I, I went from a midfield half-forward flanker then to changing my game completely to become a permanent full, full forward, I guess. So you can imagine uh, running around in the midfield, really fit, really healthy, then all of a sudden struck down with niggles and injuries, then all of a sudden have to transform my body. So I went from a really sort of, you know, um, lean running type player then to putting size, strength and muscle on so I can wrestle the defenders. So that was tough. And I used to do all the training down in the, we used to call it the Swans. There's an there's a, um, indoor sort of um, facility where they do weights and um, ride their stationary bikes and do the warm-up before the game. They used to call that the dungeon. And we used to turn the lights off, do our boxing in the dark, run. And there was, you know, if you're injured, that's where you, that you spent nearly three or four hours in there every day doing stationary um, fitness work. But there's days there sometimes in the mind you go, oh, man, is this worth it? Is it worth it? And then eventually you feel stronger, you get better, and then you go outside and you do training again with the boys, then you get your fitness back and then you start playing games. The challenges are when you're injured, how you can keep this your mind sharp and strong and focused. And I keep thinking, for me, I just kept on thinking about my family and my mum. When I was, there was times I was going, oh, I'm, gonna, oh, I'm really struggling here. Or, or I, I never thought I'd throw it in, but there was times where it got close. Then I thought about my family and what they would be thinking about. They would want me to continue. And you, then you find another second wind and then you just get to work. You touched on before earlier with those people who were sort of telling you that you wouldn't make and you, or you wouldn't go far when you did make it. When you were injured, did those thoughts or those people start coming back to your mind and sort of, I guess, oh, yeah. affect you mentally, and, but also at the same time sort of push you to get through those injuries? Yeah, absolutely. That first initial thought, and as I got older, it certainly happened a lot when I was young, when I was a bit younger, but when I got sort of middle-aged and to older, um, I started, I was really good. I was like, okay, I know what to do now. I'm injured. The process is this, 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 and this, and I'll tick it off. Yep, did that, did that, did that, did that. I ate that. I drank that. Everything's perfect. Next day, same thing. Next day, same thing. Next week, same thing. Next month, same thing. All of my friends in Adelaide, they used to come and stay with me, and they used to go, "Hey, Mick, you're really boring." They because they see you on TV kicking goals, high five, and everyone. They think you lead. They think you're a rock star. But they don't know Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday was all the training. It was all the work you have to put in to play well on Saturday or Sunday. Back home in LA, they turn the TV on, they watch the game, they go, oh, Mickey A's is killing it. He must be driving around in Ferraris and, 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 you know, having parties every second day. No, that's the life of a professional athlete and footballer in particular is completely different. And um, 
as soon as you've got your routine and your preparation right, uh, the rest really takes care of itself. Um, what sort of one lesson, I guess, you learned the most while you're going through all that and sort of something that kept you going? I reckon the focus and the, the discipline, especially when you get older, you go, oh, yeah, I know of, I know what to do. And there's been times where I've played one, two, three games in a row really badly I did, and I didn't get a kick. Mm. But I knew in my mind, I go, okay, hey, I played 100 or 200 games at this stage. I know what to do. Go back, do my extra work, do my extra videotape, talk to the coaches, do some extra tackling, all that kind of stuff, right? Like, And I know that I'm going to play well sooner rather than later. So... That's a that's the ups and downs of a of a football player again. But if you as I said, if you can be one of those players that keeps it really smooth and know what you're doing, um, it'll it'll help you when you're trying to play. You know, 15 years of football. Thanks, thanks for sharing that, Michael. I really do appreciate it. So this is probably um, something that I sort of wanted to I want to touch on, and one of the main reasons why I sort of wanted to get you on to have a bit of a chat. So I was reading something the other day, and I don't even know this, but Adam Goods is your uncle, obviously. Racism in sports probably been a very it's been pretty big lately and over the last few years. But um, when Adam was unfortunately going through those issues, what was sort of your mindset and sort of everything that? Well, can you sort of run through what everything you're sort of going through? Yeah, absolutely. I think the two really great documentaries about Adam and his story are out, and people can watch those, and they give you a bit of an eye opener of what he went through. And they were really tough days. Um, and Adam. I was speaking to him uh, today, earlier today, and he's in a really good space at the moment. But what happened is you can see how people really feel sometimes and what they feel about people of our colour. There, there's some really, there's racism is well and truly alive in the country and people might like to go, oh, no, nah, it's not that bad. Well, yeah, it is. It, it is that bad. And I guess what Adam did was just stand up and show everyone and they didn't like what they saw. And he copped a lot of backlash and it was really bad. He's a really strong guy. Um, so my job really was to make sure that Goodsy was okay and I was looking after him. I spoke to him nearly every day through that period and he was just, uh, he was, uh, I guess, flat or upset that people didn't think that it was that bad and that he would he should just get over it. Well, no, he shouldn't. I mean, we live in a, in a pretty great country, but... We've got, a, we've got a long way to go in this country. As far as I'm concerned, um, when you hear stories about your aunties and uncles and what they went through and, and, and all the bullshit they used to put up back in the day, it's, it's horrible. Then we talk about stolen generation. Then we talk about how bad that was. And then we talk about why we won't open our borders to, to, to people coming from overseas. It's, it's ludicrous. The country, we've got enough room here to share for everyone. All these, these guys who, and, and people and politicians and whoever are yelling out saying, no, 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 we don't, we, we shouldn't. And there is no racism. I mean, it's, it's crazy. And um, the one thing that sport does, and in particular AFL, is opens people's eyes. Because when you get on the field, doesn't matter if you're black, white, red, green, yellow, you're judged by your effort and how you play the game and how you run around and share and, and help teammates get better and how you train and how you hold and conduct yourself is really important as well. That was a big item and I think uh, those two documentaries about Goodsy and, and his journey, really big item. And I think I think one of them, and actually two of them, are, the both of them, sorry, are in schools now. Yeah. So really, 
Fantastic. So we can talk about all this stuff, which is awesome, because yeah. the last thing we want to do is go, oh, no, that didn't happen. But yeah, it's really important to talk about it. So the year before you got drafted, um, Nicky Wimard took a bit of a stance on the whole, on racism and especially what he was facing. Two-part question here. Have you sort of ever faced that racism in sport or even just in general? And sort of how has him taking a stance sort of helped, I guess, the education and also how you getting through it? Yeah, great question again. Uh, that photo, I mean, beautiful iconic photo is now statue i went to the opening of it in perth last year it was awesome it was so bloody good and i remember that um that game and and nikki making the stance and nikki was obviously one of the, uh, one of our heroes growing up bloody iconic it was just incredible it really did make it e- a lot easier for players like myself and adam and, and others to come through the league um and just play afl footy just play because you know nikki had made that stand and and guys before him as well but growing up I didn't cop much racism at all at AFL level. Maybe a crowd every now and then, but you couldn't see him. I couldn't see him because you concentrate on the footy. And I wasn't close enough, but I could hear. But as a kid, I opposition used to say it, and I used to, I used to beat the hell out of them. Um, I was like, and my mum said, that's not how you do it. That's not what we do. They're telling you and they're calling you these names because they're trying to upset you and get you lose your focus from the football to them to, to, to fight. And sometimes they don't even know what they're saying. I used to fight a lot as a junior until my mum and my nana said, hey, stop that out. Otherwise, you're not playing any, any sport anymore. You can't, just because someone calls you a, an abo or, or a black so-and-so doesn't mean you go out and you punch them in the face. There's a process that you can go through and do things and talk to people and, and shame them into, that's not a really good word that you should be using towards me. I don't like it and you, you better stop. Yeah, but I got in a lot of trouble for fighting. While it was good at the time, it's not the answer, obviously. But um, it was really tough as a kid hearing those words. But I was lucky that I had my mum and my aunties and uncles around as well. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Thanks so much for sharing that. Um, before we wrap up, I've just got a few fan questions that some people wanted me to ask you. So one of my good mates wanted me to ask you about the um, well, the, your top three players that you played with and also the Bloods culture and sort of how did that start? 100%. Good, good, good questions, man. Um, players, obviously, Tony Lockett um, was the best I've seen just purely because he was so big and he could just demand. He could change a game like that and he did it probably the most times out of any player. And Bud's a bit like that. Buddy's a bit like that as well. Uh, Adam Goods won a Brownlow in the ruck, won a Brownlow in the midfield, in, in the, in on a wing almost and probably the other one is Paul Kelly I think is the, the guys that I've played with and then underneath those guys they're probably the top of the top of the cake and then the other other ones are probably you know the Brett Kirks Craig Bolton was unbelievable defender so hard to get him Leo Barry Jared Crouch was a really good tagger discipline because he played on their best players all the time and usually cut their influence so every player has a role in the team and if you do your role, you do your role, you do that your role, we will win. And really, that's the answer to the Bloods culture thing. Your role is to taste, chase, tackle. If you can get your hands on the footy, get your hands on the footy. Mick, your, your role is to take some marks and lead and tackle. Do your role. And then, you know, we, we finally sunk and we started winning games. And we're like, oh, okay, we'll just do that. Instead of trying yeah. to go and kick seven goals or get uh, 40 possessions. And then all the individual accolades came with winning games of footy. Yeah. And it was really amazing. And, and that's all the Bloods culture is. The Bloods culture is I'm willing to do anything and sacrifice my game to help you and us win the game. Yeah, no, that's good to hear. Obviously, the fans are pretty play a huge role in, the fo- in football. 
Um, how did you sort of mentally prepare yourself for games for all the fans or did you just sort of, I guess, cut them out and just sort of block them out when you're playing? Swans have got fans all over the country. They're, they're unbelievable. Um, Ex-South Melbourne, obviously. Move to Sydney. Go to Perth. There's a lot of Swans fans in Perth. It was always about Monday, Friday, homework. You do the homework, kicking, extra training, team training, weights, dietitian, all the video, all that kind of stuff. You do Monday, Friday, and then it comes on Saturday, you roll it out. So mentally I knew, hey, I've done all this work. I can play this game easy. This game is easy. I can do this. I can go out and play because I did all the homework I needed to do. Um, all the preparation is the key. So fit, strong, healthy, mind, ready to go. We're playing in Perth. Who cares? I played I play well in Perth. I love playing in Perth. You know what I mean? So self-talk, self-motivation is really key as well. One of my other good mates wanted me to ask you, if you could build your ultimate um, AFL player for using five Indigenous players' abilities, what, whose would you use? <laughs> <laughs> I know there's some, there's some crazy ones out here. <laughs> oh, that's all. That's actually really good. Man, all right, you'd go through the real easy ones first. So you'd go, you'd want Goodsy's running ability because he's got great running ability from slow to run all day and then he's, mm. when he's top line pace, not many guys can go with him. And he's got beautiful size, obviously, so his running ability. You'd take Cyril Rioli's ducking and dodging and touch. He's very clean with his hands. Buddy's brilliance. It kicks him from anywhere and that self-belief to be able to do that as well and, and got really good presence. Kicking ability, I reckon the best kick that's ever played Indigenous player is um, Chris Johnson from the Brisbane Lions. Mm. He was the best kick I've ever seen. Black, white, red, and green, I reckon. He's, he was just a brilliant... He used to take the kick-ins for the Brisbane Lions in their premiership years and he was a brilliant kick, a decision maker. One more. Um, oh. You've got to have yourself in there, surely. Ah, <laughs> uh, no. You know what? I won't put, I won't put myself in there. Um, you know what? You, you know what? I'll put my uh, I'll put my um, my determination and my uh, my character in. I think I'm a I'm a good guy. You know what? I love having a laugh at footy clubs, and I yeah. love working hard with my mates at footy clubs. And I was really good at bringing the boys together. I love that kind of stuff. I miss it. I still miss it actually. I don't miss playing. I miss the locker room attitude. I had a really good attitude, but I reckon um, that's a pretty good t- that's a pretty good player. Would he be a, he'd be a mid forward? I reckon as well. Yeah. I'd like it to be. You got a midfielder? Yeah. If you got 20 possessions and kick two goals every every week, I'd be pretty happy. Yeah, no, nah, that's awesome. Um, one last question. So my dad, he's really big on the old um, football clubs getting relocated. So he wanted me to ask you sort of what's your thoughts on like clubs getting relocated? So how this, like obviously South Melbourne moving to Sydney and then Fitzroy to Brisbane. And also mm-hmm. he wanted me to ask, do you ever reckon um, we'll get a team down here in Tassie? And oh. <laughs> <laughs> I really, you know what? I really hope you guys get a, um, a team in Tassie. I think you deserve one. You're, you're the most passionate AFL supporters. Every time I'm in Tassie, I go there twice a year for the last 10 years. I, I love going down there. Uh, and everywhere you go, people uh, greet you really warmly. They love their footy. They turn up all the time. So if they got a team, now, I reckon it's now or never, I reckon. There's enough money there. COVID's hit a little bit, so it's made that a little bit more difficult. But you, should, you guys definitely should be the next team that gets admitted. And in terms of relocating, when South Melbourne moved to Sydney, and again, that was before my time, and when I talked to all the old players, they hated it. They used to fly in on Friday night, live in Melbourne, fly in on Friday night, play on Saturday, fly back to Melbourne for for a year. And maybe one or two players lived in Sydney. So that was pretty tough. But I'm glad they made that decision to move because... 
there wouldn't be a Sydney Swans footy club. So sometimes it's a good thing. And I guess the one where Fitzroy and Brisbane Bears merged and made the Brisbane Lions, as long as they are honouring the tradition in the past, like Fitzroy and the Brisbane Bears, it's a really good thing. I reckon the Swans do it really, really well. They look after all their South Melbourne porters and especially their older players and the people who have done really amazing things to keep the club alive. So I love that about our footy club. The, the footy club's a little bit like like me, you know, told you no good, get a bugger <laughs> off and go and try something else and you just keep on chipping away and hanging in there and show resilience, toughness and, and eventually... You know, get some get some get some wins on the board. And our footy club now is one of the strongest clubs in the in the land. But one thing we've got is got really good people, and um, hopefully that stays that way. My young fella's in the Swans Academy. He, he's mad Swans. He loves it. He doesn't listen to me. He doesn't think I could play. But it's it's quite Rough. funny. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, <laughs> he was watching Fox Footy, an old game. Was on. He goes, Dad, come in here. You're on TV. So I walk in the room and I'm sort of all proud. I'm going, Hey, where where are you? He goes, Dad, you just dropped three marks. And I was like, Oh. <laughs> 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 well, that was pretty funny, man. That was pretty yeah. funny. Keeps me grounded. Yeah, he does. He does. Um, well, before we wrap up, um, what's your favourite quote? You know what? The first quote I ever saw was when I walked in the rooms and it was on the on the wall and it was uh, Ron Barassi. And he used to say this to the guys when he was coaching at, or playing and coaching uh, at Carlton and uh, at North Melbourne. And then he obviously came to Sydney for two years. And it was, if it is to be, it is up to me. If it is to be, it is up to me. And it makes sense. If you want something, you've got to go out and get it and you've got to work extremely hard. There's no use sitting there wishing and holding your fingers going, oh, I hope this happens. You actually got to sometimes go and make it happen. And that's the one one that I guess I know off by heart and, I, and, it, and it sticks with me. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's awesome to hear. No, well, thanks so much for um, coming on and thanks for sort of sharing your, your life story. I, I, it's probably one of the ones that I've wanting, been wanting to do for a while. And when I sent you that message to come on, like I said before, I was very um, taken back <laughs> when you replied straight away. So no, I, you have no idea how much it means to me. So I'm really grateful no, for you coming on. All good, mate. I tell you, uh, look, I appreciate it, mate. You did a really good job, mate. And I must admit, I've been on a couple of podcasts and this is one of that I've really enjoyed doing. So um, well done, mate. Really well done. Thank you so much. Really, really do appreciate it. I'll let you go and um, hope you have a great day. We'll just talk to you soon. Right. Hey, um, send me, text me your, uh, your address. I'll send you a uh, Indigenous Round Jumper. I've got a couple oh, of you. Sweet. Thank you so much. We'll do. Thank no you. Worries, brother. Appreciate it. Good one. Talk to you soon. Hey, mate. You too. Bye.